0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. I'm John Gunter, the preaching minister here at our church. We thank you again for tuning in each week and uh, I hope that each uh, each week is a blessing to you, that you learn something, that you're challenged, uh, that you walk away just a little bit closer to God. This week we have our youth minister, Jordan Santos, bringing us two parables, the first from the Good Samaritan and the second from the Vineyard Workers. And so uh, it's a lot of fun to see kind of uh, how uh, a message is connected between these two parables. And of course, Good Samaritan being one of those one of those famous ones. And so uh, I hope you enjoy this and that, uh, that through this, again, that you are, are drawn closer to God. Thanks again for listening. Come see us sometime. You're all very kind to of me after the last time. Uh, So I appreciate it, and it just kind of reminds me of how awesome it is to have a faith-loving church family to support you, no matter what you do, and I hope you feel that not only if you get to come up here and speak, but as you go through your everyday life, I hope that we are a family that treats each other that way. Um, I guess we're going to talk about another parable today. Actually, we're going to talk about two more parables, and I'm excited to do these parables Because it reminds me of back when I was a little kid in uh, Bible class, you know, Sunday school. And uh, whenever we would talk about parables, that's when the teacher would bring out the felt board. Y'all remember the felt board? Um, Some of the kids are too young for the felt board. There's not many things that I can say, oh, the kids are too young for that, you know. Uh, But this is one of them. And I would love uh, when we would do parables because that's when the felt board would come out. And one of my favorite stories, uh, John... John mentioned it last week, what, but the parable of the lost sheep. And I was a young kid who took things pretty literally, and I thought way too into these spellboard presentations, right? So um, when we're doing the story of the lost sheep, she'd have, like, uh, a few sheep on the board, and then the game would be for the little kids to find the other sheep that was hidden somewhere else in the room. It was a lot of fun, except for me, um, because I was like, there are only... Five sheep on the board. That means there are 95 sheep hidden somewhere in this room that I need to find. And uh, you know, obviously, I was everyone's favorite Bible class kid because you know I undercut all the all the lessons. But, anyways, I love talking about parables. Um, and when we think about parables, we've kind of mentioned this past couple of weeks. Sometimes we think, you know, it's supposed to make the crazy thing seem simple, and that is true and also false because. Jesus, uh, as we look through these stories, Jesus is okay with people not getting it. He even expects people not to get it because if you want to learn what Jesus is trying to say, it will be simple. You'll get it. You'll understand. But there are people in these audiences that just don't want to. They don't want it. They don't want to get it. And so they don't, right? And so it's easy for us to be like, how could you not get what he's trying to say? It's Jesus himself explaining it to you right here and there in plain and simple terms, uh, but you're not getting it. It's easy for us from the outside looking in, having all this evidence of Jesus being who he is for years and years and years. Uh, But these people, they just didn't want to hear it. Um, Today we have two parables, like I said. Uh, First one we'll talk about is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a classic, which they're all classics because they're all like 2,000 years old. But that's a good one. And then uh, the parable of the vineyard workers, which some of you may be familiar with, some of you may not be Uh, We're going to focus on one, and then we'll kind of come back to the other one and wrap it all around. Uh, So we'll get through two. It's a little meaty, but I'm going to talk fast because nobody told me that I went too long last time until this morning. Uh, Laura said that I went too long because she was back there with little kids. um, (laughs) But John didn't give me permission to keep Katie back there a long time, so we'll see. Um, A couple things. uh, First, let's just read through it together. Let's do it. So this is uh, the Good Samaritan, Luke 10. 30 through 37. Actually, it's going to start in 30, uh, 25, because that has a little bit of the setup. So, uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That always goes well. A teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Uh, But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And replied, Jesus said, A man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, uh, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side also. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them uh, to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A couple things I wanted to point out first. Um, Number one was, what was the Pharisee's name? (laughs) And what did I say about Pharisee names? When they have good intentions, Jesus will tell them their name, right? Uh, We heard about Nicodemus. We heard about uh, Simon last time I spoke. he obviously was trying to test Jesus, so we don't get to hear his name. If he was a good Pharisee, we would have known he's obviously Pharisee Jim, right? We would have known him pretty well, but now he's no name Pharisee. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out was his answer to Jesus. Or, or was this, blah, 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 blah. The other thing I wanted to point out was this answer to Jesus. Uh, when he asked what was written in the law, he answers by quoting the Hebrew prayer. What was the name of the Hebrew prayer, Chase? Shema. It's a new month. We start talking about something else. I can't expect them to remember last month. But the Shema, right? Uh, the Hebrew prayer that they would say every single morning. Like he knew his stuff, right? Um, so, no name Pharisee. The Shema sounds like I know what I'm talking about. See it a couple times in Scripture, right? Um, So he quoted the exact phrase repeatedly his whole life, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He knows the phrase inside and out because that's how he was raised as a good Jewish kid and eventually a Pharisee, right? Uh, But that adds to the irony of it all, right? Because uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he's talking right to God himself, Jesus, uh, God in the flesh. God is a human, right? And he's not hearing. He's not understanding. And so no matter how many times he said the prayer over and over and over again, when time comes and he's right in front of Jesus, he still doesn't get it. And so keep that in mind when you struggle with some things, okay? Um, This parable is a response to the Pharisee testing him. Um, And don't you just love when you ask a very plain and simple question and then someone responds with a roundabout question of their own, right? Um, The other person can avoid giving the straight answer. Like you ask a question, um, well, what do you think? And to my younger brothers, uh, they love to uh, answer in their own way. So when you ask my brother something, they do this thing where they respond with, they just say, who? And so I'll say, "Um, where are we going for lunch tonight? And they'll say, who? And you'll be like, what do you mean, who? And they'll say, cares. And... (laughs) Because they just try to trap you into saying "Who cares?" And you know they're 16 and 17, so they're still young. They're dumb. And but the, and the rest of my family, we've caught on at this point. Like we get it. You know, if they say "Who?", like we don't respond. You know, because they're trying to trap us. But my poor sweet mom, uh, she's a little slower to catch on to some of these jokes. And um, uh, there was an example of she was asking uh, my brother Jackson, "When is your basketball game tonight?" And uh, Jackson said, who? And she's like, uh, you, you, you're the only one that plays basketball. When's your basketball game tonight? And he said, who cares? And everyone laughed, and it wasn't funny because, but it, it, but it was funny. Um, but I hate when, you know, you're trying to get a straight answer out of somebody, and, you know, they twist it into their own thing. And Jesus was really good at that, right? And he was good at knowing people's intentions. He was good at knowing what they needed to hear at the time. And obviously it seemed like the Pharisee needed to hear this parable. Um, Jesus is um, doing this because the Pharisee was struggling with a specific thing, right? So he starts the parable with a man walking down the road, and he's beaten up by a group of robbers. Uh, Another thing about uh, the felt boards at Sunday school is when we would talk about this story, uh, when uh, the teacher would represent beaten up by robbers, she would just take the felt man and then lay lay him down horizontal. (laughs) And I was like, he doesn't look very beat up. And it says that it, it leaves him half dead. And in my mind, I was like, if he's half dead and he's forty-five years old, he's got a long life ahead of him still, you know. But anyways, okay, sorry. Um, but anyways, he's on the road. He's beaten up. He's in need of help. And luckily for him, right, one of the most righteous men in their society, a priest, just happens to be coming down the road. And so he's probably feeling really good. It's like, oh, thank goodness. Uh, the priest is here to help me. And then slowly he's like, wait, wait, where are you going? Hello, hello, hello. And then the priest just keeps walking, right? And then, so he's probably pretty bummed. But then a Levite, which if you don't know who a Levite is, it's um, descendants of the and uh, the tribe of Levi. They were the ones who were chosen to take care of the temple, uh, oftentimes whether as a priest, as um, a teacher, as a minister, um, anything to do with the temple, the tabernacle, uh, the Levites were in charge of helping it. So, helping with that. So, he's another stand-up guy in society, right? A lot of people look up to him. He has special responsibilities. He should be uh, holier, holier than now, right? He should uh, be a pretty helpful person. But yet, he's walking forward, and then slowly he crosses to the other side, and the guy laying on the ground is probably feeling, do they even see me, right? This is pretty uh, reminiscent of, you know, when you pull up to a stoplight, and then there's someone standing with a sign right there, and you're looking straight ahead. And we all do it. You know, It's dumb that we do it, but we all do it. And we're looking straight ahead so we don't accidentally look at them and they come up to the window of our car. And like I said, we all do it. But the temptation of that is when we try to disassociate, sometimes we think, oh, that's not a real human person. If I ignore them, they're not there. And that's kind of what the priest and Levite are doing here. They're like, if I cross to their side, they don't even say anything, right? They don't say, I'm sorry, I'm late for work. I got to get to the temple. Or they don't say, sorry, I don't have any cash on me right now. They don't say anything, and they just pretend it's not there. And I would love to say that I never do that, but I think we all kind of do that sometimes when we try to ignore the bad stuff in the world and stay focused on, you know, we're just going on a merry way. We got what we have going on, and someone else will figure it out for them, right? The priests, the Levites, some of the most righteous people in their culture, treat the man like he doesn't exist. And the parable could have ended there, right? That's a good story. Uh, don't do that. Help people in need, right? That's a, that's, you can learn something from that, right? But Jesus knew that the Pharisee probably needed to hear something else, so he keeps going. And I want you to think about why he includes the rest of the story. A Samaritan comes walking down the road, and if you are unfamiliar with what a Samaritan was, it was the offspring of a Jewish and a Gentile person, right? So um, there are Jews who are descendants of Abraham, God's chosen people. Uh, they had the promised land. They were promised to have a great nation come. You know, all that good stuff, the promised people, the Jewish people. Then you have the Gentiles, who is basically everybody else um, in the world that is not a Jew, right? Right? Um and then you had um the Samaritans finally. Um Jews had a negative opinion of Gentiles because they were not them, right? And they probably worshipped another god that they didn't like, you know, so it's understandable that there would be some friction there. But sometimes when you look through the Bible, it seems like Jews hated Samaritans even more because they were, oh, you were you were a Jew, and then you decided to mingle with the unclean people. And now you've just ruined your whole bloodline. Um, it's like a more of a turn up kind of, I can't believe you didn't want to be a part of us. You know what I mean? And um, obviously uh, this is a boring concept for us because in America we've never had a trouble with race relations, right? Um, but this is a person who the Pharisee listening to the story, right? He would have viewed the Samaritan as like the enemy when all of a sudden he's the hero of the story. And the person that he would have seen as peers, the priests and the Levite, are falling short, right? You can tell how much the Pharisee needed to hear the story because of how he responds to Jesus at the end. Uh, who was the neighbor to the man on the road? And the Pharisee said, um, the man who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan, right? Jesus is really good, again, at knowing what people needed to hear at the time. The story could have ended with the priest or the Levite helping the man on the road, and this would have been a good lesson about helping those in need, but the Pharisee didn't struggle with doing the right thing. Like you said, he knew the law, he knew the prayer, he quoted every single day, he knew what he was supposed to do. That wasn't the problem, right? It was choosing who he wanted to be the neighbor. He wanted to pick and choose who his neighbor was. I don't want to speak for you, but uh, I think for me and for a lot of people, this is a real temptation. I can do all the things that I know I should do depending on who it's for, right? I can spare some of my wallet to help you out depending on who it's for. I can spend a couple hours helping you move depending on who it's for, right? I can be welcoming and friendly to you depending on who it's for, right? It's so easy to love your neighbor as yourself when you get to choose who that applies to, Right? For the Pharisee, he didn't want to choose the Samaritan. And maybe for us, there's some people that we want to exclude from that, right? When Jesus was on earth, there were two groups of people that he was really trying to change society's interpretation of, right? There was, first group was the other. And when I say the other, that means the stranger, the foreigner, the sick, the outcast of society, the sinners, right? Those are all um, how a regular Jewish person would consider the other. Right? So we have the other, and then we have the enemy. Uh, we, Jesus talks about forgiveness, about um, turning the other cheek, about loving your enemy, all that good stuff, right? The other and the enemy, Jesus wanted to flip how people perceive them in society. The problem is a lot of times people view, they kind of lump the two groups together. They view anyone who's an other as an enemy, right? Some of you have met our dog, Jerry. Um, She's really cute. She's turned a year old recently, but uh, she is very protective of us and her things and her space. She's a, a German Shepherd mix, so she's a guard dog, basically. And um, when Abby and I have left town, uh, we have to spend a night away from the house for whatever reason. We've had different people come and check on her, try to you know, feed her and take her outside. And if you ask Bethany and the McCartneys, that did not go very well because someone's coming into her space, especially when mom and dad aren't home, right? And so she's real aggressive about people coming. The other, she's viewing them as their enemy, right? We've, we brought her up here for the trunk or treat last week to try and socialize her a little bit more, and uh, we realized pretty quickly that maybe we should have left her home because especially small humans and masks coming up to our car, <laughs> that was not something that she was a fan of. Right, um, but to Jerry, anyone who's an other is an enemy, right? And she will do whatever to get you away from us, right? To protect what's hers. Um, and similarly, sim- similarly, many Jews in Jesus' state viewed anyone who was an other as an enemy. As an example, the Samaritan, right? So I'll, I'll take a break real quick from comparing my jo- my dog to a Pharisee. And I want to look at the other parable for today. We'll come back. We'll come back. So this is the parable of the uh, vineyard workers. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Where the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is a day's wage. He agreed to pay them a day's wage uh, uh, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who, had hired, who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. Um, so when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, uh, but each of them also received denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have, been, uh, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day, all day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Then you agree to work for a Daenerys. Uh, take your pay and go. Uh, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's one of my favorite parables because it's probably one of the most abrasive parables in context. The lead up to Jesus telling the story is really interesting. So you have the rich rich young ruler. A lot of you have heard that story before. Um, He comes to Jesus and he asks what he must do to inherit eternal life, which if you were listening a couple minutes ago, that's exactly what the Pharisee asked too, right? Um, What a coincidence, right? Anyways, Uh, but the rich young ruler asked what he must do to be saved. And after a little more conversation, Jesus eventually says that he had to give all that he had to the poor. And surprisingly, the guy whose name is Rich Young Ruler had a problem with giving away all his money, right? And so he left. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What then will there be for us? Peter says, what about us? It's almost like he hadn't already forgotten the, the conversation that Jesus had had with the rich young ruler just a few seconds ago. Rich young ruler said, I've been keeping all the commandments my entire life, right? Uh, the Pharisee from the other parable had said, I know the greatest commandment. I can recite it for you right now. Peter said, well, what about us? We've been working for you this whole time. What about us? And Jesus responds with the parable. Earlier I said this was an abrasive parable in context because Jesus is looking right at um, Peter, one of his most devout and closest followers, <laughs> right? Um, and basically is saying, even though you put in all this work, you only get your payment because that's what I have decided to give you, right? That's what the Father has decided to give you. And if he decides to give the same reward to someone else, it's not because of their amount of work, right? It's because the Father decides to do whatever he wants with what is his. Now, to put these two parables together, there are a lot of fair questions that come from these passages, mainly around Jesus saying that the last will be first and the first will be last. And um, how many of you, when I read that, thought, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with that, because that's definitely how I was. Um, And I don't blame you. I felt the same way. Uh, But uh, what does the first and last mean in this context, right? Like, first in importance on earth uh, and last in importance on earth will be flipped in heaven, you know, maybe. But it doesn't seem like there are different tiers of heaven. That's not something that God or Jesus has ever mentioned, right? Um, Does it mean that those who have uh, more privilege on earth should be humbling themselves and lifting others up who have less? I mean, yeah, that sounds really nice, but I don't really see how that fits with the workers of the vineyard, right? Because the whole point was they got the same, no matter what. But then I had a thought that I think made sense, and, you know, you can see if you're jacking with me. So, I did this um, myself, if you were wondering. I know you're surprised by that. But here I have a few sheep. This is a callback to the felt board earlier. You know, it's all, it's all connected. Uh, anyways, so I have a few sheep. There's one that, I think there's a... Ah, there we go. There's one. This one probably looks like it's in first, right? This one probably looks like it's in last, second, third. And so when we think about... A race, right? And this is the finish line. I probably should have said that first. They're all trying to cross the finish line. And when we think of the context of a normal race and we pair it with salvation, we think, you know what? If this one crosses first, they get first place. They get uh, first place medal, they get the first place amount of salvation. Good for that one. Right? But then, oh, then we think about this one. And like, yeah, they get second. They only get like second place salvation. That's not as good as first place salvation, so kind of a bummer for that guy. And then we don't even want to talk about the person in the last place. They get very little salvation. Sometimes that's how we view um, how a race would go, which is natural, right? Um, but then as Christians, we should be used to Jesus kind of subverting expectations of how we think of the regular world. And so if we look at this They've all crossed the finish line, right? Can you tell me who was in first? Can you tell me who was in last? No, no. When Jesus says that the last will be first and the first will be last, he's saying that we all end up equal in the end. The guy in first place is also the guy in last place. That's how lines work, right? They're all in a straight line. They all finish together. There's only one place, your first and last, right? And this could be a problem to some people, right? This was a problem to the Jewish Pharisee, who felt like he was in first place compared to the Samaritan, right? The Jews uh, were the promised people, uh, the promised nation that God had chosen for a special purpose. Uh, They were going to bring forth the Savior of the whole world, uh, Jesus. Do you mean to tell me that the Samaritan or the Gentile uh, that didn't keep all the commandments their whole life, that didn't produce the Savior of the world, uh, and doesn't know the law like the Pharisee does, they have to be my neighbor? They haven't been working all day like I have. I was here in the heat of the day. They just showed up at 5 o'clock. They've only been here for an hour. You're telling me that they get the same pay that I do. They have to be my neighbor. Jesus said that we're all equal. In the end, right? It was a problem with the Pharisee. And it also seemed like it was a little bit of a problem with Peter, right? Um, who, to be fair, had been following Jesus since the very beginning. And if anyone deserved to be first, it would be Peter, right? He'd been working really hard, he'd been doing all the right things. Um, but even he had to be reminded of uh, when we finish with Jesus, it looks like this early or late. We're all neighbors, and we all get paid for what we agree to work with when we agree to work with him. Maybe this can be a problem for you, too. I know it's been a problem for me at times. I have a ton of respect for all the workers here who've been working a lot longer than I have. Uh, John is like 50 years older than me, so (laughs) he's been working a lot longer than I have, right? Um, But even with that gap between us, our finish line still looks like this. And uh, obviously, I work with the teenagers, and I have a few years on some of them. I've been working a little longer than they have, and hopefully they have some respect for me for that. Who knows? I don't know. Um, But at the end of the day, them and I still finish like this. Because we don't cross as an individual. We cross together. We cross as one unified body of Christ. Just like I said two weeks ago, our... Starting point does not dictate our finish line. God knows that we're coming from different places uh, at different stages of our life. He's the one who hired us, obviously, right? But even if that's the case, the goal is still the same for all of us. One, salvation. As I get ready to close, uh, there are a few points that I want to make sure stick. Uh, Some of these might be familiar because, you know, the whole sermon series is kind of designed to have these common threads, obviously. And so the first thing that I want make sure that you remember, is that Jesus will hijack your question. Like I said, Jesus is good at knowing what you need to hear, and sometimes we question God looking for some sort of justification, right? Uh, God, why is this person the way that they are? Or, God, do they really have to be my neighbor? Can't they be a little bit down the street on the other side? Um, and we ask, we ask that as if God's going to say, you know what, you're right. They are the worst, and you've, you've been dealing with them for too long. I'll just, I'll just kind of cast them aside. Obviously, that's not going to happen, right? But sometimes we ask as if that is the case. Um, How many of you have uh, used a prayer to complain about God, about a person or thing, and then uh, that person or thing ended up being more frequent in your life, right? He usually hijacks those questions and turns them into teaching opportunities. Um, From Pharisees to disciples, Jesus has proven that he is more than willing to challenge you. Right? So why, why would we think that we're exempt? Um, next thing, we're all in need, okay? Um, this has been repeated every week so far, really. First week, we were all given talents, right? Second week, the rain is coming for us all. Third week, we all have unpaid debt. Last week, we are all welcome to the Father's house, no matter how far we've gone. And today, we are all in need of work, and we are all paid the same. This is something that I feel echoes Jesus's ministry. It used to be only a certain people, the Jews, uh, were part of this, and now everyone can join in this work. The blessings and the challenges are open to everybody, right? Next thing, it's not about what we've earned, it's about what we're given. We talk about this in church pretty often. We're not saved by works, you know, we love to quote that, right? Um, but we can never talk about it enough, obviously, In order to feel better about ourselves, it's easy to look at someone else and say, you know, I have done so much more work than they have. I've been here since way earlier in the day. And when we do that, we kind of miss the point, obviously. You haven't earned anything by all your hard work, um, especially with all of your sins piled on top of that, right? But luckily, like I said, it's not about what we've earned. If we got what we earned, we'd be pretty upset by that. Uh, instead, it's what we've been given. So looking down on someone else or judging someone else is pretty silly, I think. And the last thing I want to make sure sticks, God is still hiring workers. He will continue to hire workers because there's still a lot of work to be done. If you go out into the world, you are very well aware that it's not finished yet. Are you going to be someone who says, I'm glad you're here. We could use some extra hands. Or are you going to be someone who says, they better not get as much as me in the end? Right? The cool part about the parable is that the owner of the vineyard kept going out and seeking more people, even though he knew that the day was almost over. He knew that there was still work, but on top of that, he knew that people still needed payment. He knew that there were still people in need. And so... Here comes the mirror. James 1, to through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror Hi. and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gets freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. When we come to this, these two parables, when we look in this mirror, I want us to ask ourselves, who's my neighbor? not as a way to challenge Jesus like the Pharisee, but as an opportunity to say, who's my neighbor and am I being a neighbor to them? We don't get to pick and choose, obviously, like I said. So when you ask who my neighbor is, the answer is everybody. And that may be a problem because people are rough sometimes. People are annoying. People don't agree with me. And I don't like that they don't agree with me, obviously. But the challenge is not figuring out who my neighbor is. The challenge is not figuring out, okay, um, who showed up first. The challenge is not, okay, how much am I going to get paid in the end? The challenge is, how many workers does God still need? How can I add to that? The ones that are here, how can I make peace with them so we can work hard and do what needs to be done? If you look in this mirror and say, you know what, you look good, you don't look so good, so I'm gonna crop you out. Um, you've kind of annoyed me recently, so I'm gonna get a little sharpie and kind of smudge out the part that you're visible in, right? This is a tool. Because if we come <laughs> to the church and we live our Christian life, not ever looking in this mirror and asking if we're on the right track, I promise you you're not. If you come to church, and you're afraid to look in this mirror, I think Jesus probably has something to say to you. There are so many times in my life where I know that I'm not being the way that I should, and I avoid looking here. We At our uh, house, my parents' house in Oklahoma, there's a huge wall of mirrors, right? And it's often used as an opportunity to check your outfit right before you walk out the door. But if if it was a Saturday morning and I'd slept in and I knew I looked gross and I'm going out to get the mail or I'm taking out the trash, I am avoiding looking at that at all costs because I know it's rough, right? Sometimes you're going to know that your life is rough. Sometimes you're going to know that You know, I haven't been a neighbor to everybody. But hopefully coming here, this is an opportunity to say, all right, Jesus, what are you trying to tell me? If you are someone that has struggled with picking and choosing who your neighbors are, i get it, me too. I've probably done it in the past week. This group of people as a whole is full of so much love. And I think that a lot of times we come to church and we're so afraid that someone will find out that we're not as perfect as we present them. we are. And so we avoid the mirror. We avoid being honest. We avoid just being open with anybody. Because maybe the person that you don't want to be your neighbor is someone in this room. But the change that we're all looking for, it doesn't come from our own work. It doesn't come from all the effort that we put in. It comes from the owner of the vineyard who's decided, you know what, you get paid. And you get paid, and you get paid. Because I promise there's been someone working longer than you have. I promise there's someone who doesn't really want you to be their neighbor. But even though all these things are impossible with man, all things are possible with God. and I think that's a great thing. I think that's an encouraging thing. and Hopefully it's something that we're all able to hold dear and remember. And so this morning, if you need a prayer, if you are looking to get back on track, if you're looking for an opportunity to dive deep into that mirror and say, what do I need, what is God trying to sell me? If you are someone who has been neglecting their neighbors. If you're someone who's been just really judgmental just people who you don't feel work as hard as you, let this be an opportunity to come forward because like I said, we're all here for the same one salvation and God is calling you today. If you need prayers, if, you do, if you'd like to be baptized, you need anything from this church and come forward as we stand